last week, uh, Sister Janet focused on unity in the church, and her message was kingdom conduct. And that theme continues into Philippians chapter 2, where Paul begins kind of asking rhetorically when he says, if you have any encouragement from being in Christ. In other words, when you see followers of Jesus working together for the genuine good of the kingdom, that's a beautiful, encouraging thing for all of us to see, for the entire world to see. He says, if any comfort from his love, there's great comfort in recalling Jesus' love and how we've seen that demonstrated through Jesus' life, but also experiencing his love through the body of Christ. He says, if there's any common sharing in the spirit, and the word here is koinonia, it means working together, mutual aid, coming to help one another out in hard circumstances. He says, if there's any tenderness and compassion, and then Paul says, then make my joy complete. So how does Paul want the Philippians to complete his joy? What does he want to see in their life? What's the the basis for this shared unity? He says they're supposed to be like-minded, to have the same love of Christ and Christ's kingdom, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But he says, in humility, value others above yourselves, looking to the interests of others. The simple way of saying that is to be like Jesus. In the rest of Philippians 2 that we read this morning, Paul's description of Jesus and Jesus' path of downward mobility is where I want to to camp out this morning. And so as we take a, a deeper look at this passage, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. I pray that you would be moving in our hearts, in our lives this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you a a little context uh, about this passage. Verses 6 through 11 are sometimes referred to as the Christ hymn. It's possible that this was a hymn sung by the early church. Um, We're not sure if that was a hymn. It's certainly poetic in the way that it's laid out. It could be that Paul is quoting a, a known poem or hymn here. It doesn't really reflect the way that Paul often speaks or usually talks. And so he may be borrowing the words from another. What happens at the beginning in verse 6 Um, I read this morning from the NIV, which says, who being in very nature God. Some other translations, the the NRSV says, who, though he was in the form of God. Most translations follow one of these routes. What's the point? Well, at the beginning here, we have a decision to make. Is Christ's way of humility in contrast to, to his divinity? which is kind of what some of the translations that say, although he was in the form of God take? Or is Christ's way of humility because he's in the form of God? Smarter people than I have weighed in and have kind of 
looked at all the, the evidence, and that's why there's a variety of translations. We worked our way through this in our Bible study uh, this past week, and really you could probably convince me that, that either way of translating this would be correct. And both of them are going to highlight Jesus and his just emptying of himself and coming down and taking this, um, this way of humility. But let me offer this. God is absolutely majestic and all-powerful and all-present and all-knowing. This is who God is. And yet God seems to consistently turn things upside down. Other ancient stories of gods uh, had gods manipulating humanity for their own gain. And these are stories that the people in Philippi would have heard over and over of Greek gods and, and Roman gods. They were often vengeful and they created chaos and bloodshed. But in contrast, Yahweh, who we read about in the Hebrew scriptures, has acted from the beginning to allow humanity to have a choice. Yahweh has been all-powerful creator and, and, and all of that. And yet Yahweh has chosen to work through the weak and through outcasts, through exiles and the unclean. He's often worked in the Old Testament through the younger brother or through this ragtag of group of people wandering through the wilderness. Never through the empire that's in power at the time. In Jesus, we see this continued. Jesus could call the, the cream of the crop as, as followers, as his disciples. He could call legions of angels to come to his rescue. He tells us that at one point. He could allow the crowd to make him king by force. But instead, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He hails from Nazareth. And one writer wonders, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He calls uneducated fishermen. He calls women as followers who have uh, a checkered past and have a, a bad reputation. He calls tax collectors to come and follow him and be his disciples. Jesus even bends his knee to wash the feet of his disciples. He allows the Romans... To come and to humiliate him on the cross as he is nailed up for the world to see naked and, and vulnerable. The cross was meant to humiliate its victims. So we see in the Old Testament a God who works through the weak. Through the second born. In Jesus we see a God, a, a Savior who comes and chooses the, the outcasts, beginning and middle. But even in the end, in the, the book of Revelation, and this gives us a glimpse and an unveiling of what is moving history forward. And too often, I think, especially in the last hundred years or so in the United States predominantly, we've missed the beauty of this story when we've been looking for a lion and a, and a tattooed warrior coming and kicking butt and waving his sword all around instead of the warrior who conquers through the word that comes from his mouth, who sheds his own blood, whose symbol is a slaughtered lamb. And so 
in the beginning, the middle, and the end, the Bible reveals a God who is downwardly mobile, who comes down even to the pit and lifts others up. This is the Savior, the God, Jesus, that Scripture reveals. Some have talked about this passage in Philippians, this, this Christ hymn, as a way of replaying the, the story and the decision that Adam makes way back in the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Remember back with me. In, in Genesis, Adam is tempted to be like God. He's given the decision that if he eats this fruit, he will know good and evil for himself. Or rather, he will determine good and evil for himself outside of fellowship with God. And so we could tell the story of Adam like this. Adam, who being in the very image of God, considered equality with God something to be grasped and used to his own advantage. And what happens as a result of that story is that all hell breaks loose. Adam tries the path of upward mobility, and it comes crashing down. And the immediate result for Adam is is a broken fellowship with God, is a broken fellowship with Eve. There's marital strife, there's pain, there's toil, and Adam's family falls apart as one son kills another. Jesus is presented with the, the same choice as Adam. And he begins to put to rights the things that had been broken for so long. And so Christ, who being in very nature God, even even more than an image bearer, in his very nature he is divine. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, or the NIV says, taken advantage of. But instead, the God of the universe doesn't just become any old human. He becomes a slave. Assuming the position of a slave as he washes feet, he humbles himself, or maybe rather he allows the Romans and the Jewish authorities to humiliate him, to put him on display as a victim of the powers that be, mocked and and spat on and humiliated And in the very act of humiliation, in the very lifting up of his body, in the very mockery that those around make of him, Christ conquers. This is the path of downward mobility that Jesus demonstrated time and time again. This is the, the path of downward mobility that we see God take beginning, middle, and end. This is what the path of God looks like. This is the path, the example that Paul calls the Philippians to take. To come down. To take the position of a slave. To be with those at the bottom And to begin to point them to the good news. To begin to to lift others up. This is what would bring Paul great joy. 
to see the church working together in unity to, to come under others and lift them up. This morning, I want you to, to think of something. What would Paul's words have done in the first century Philippi? Remember that Philippi was a, a Roman colony. And so the, the emperor and the emperor's wife and the emperor's son were worshipped. And on occasion, Caesar might do something kind. He might hand out bread at the Colosseum while gladiators are killing one another. He might do nice things every once in a while. But it would be to, to curry favor, to get respect and, and honor back for himself. The people in Philippi would have heard lots of stories of gods or Greek and Roman heroes that, that may have faced hardships, but then the gods would come to their rescue and give them all kinds of honor and accolades, uh, basically back for the gods. But Paul is talking about following the example of Christ who becomes absolutely nothing, who gives up honor and glory and fame and fortune to empty himself and take the path of downward mobility. It would have caused the Philippians probably to, to scratch their heads at least for a moment. Maybe some of them got upset. What, what do you mean give up my power? What do you mean not seek my own honor? And what do Paul's words do in 21st century America? Honestly, I'm not sure that it's any easier for us to hear. We're not as overt about our honor and shame in our culture as the Greco-Roman world. And yet we have incredibly complex issues surrounding power and authority and who has it and who doesn't. And we live in a culture that has been shaped by an emphasis on the individual. And that's gone a little overboard as we follow the pattern of the first Adam. And we grasp and cling and take advantage. Jesus instead becomes nothing because of love. Because God is not a, a power-grabbing, advantage-taking, self-seeking kind of God. Jesus comes under from the bottom to rescue the lost and the least and the disenfranchised. And so Paul's entire basis for unity in the church is following the downward mobility of Jesus. As you go this week, hear these words. Finally, sisters and brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Grace and peace. Have a great week, Spring Creek.